0: Good morning, church. My name's Chad Allen. I am thrilled to have this opportunity to share with you this morning. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. I'm glad we've got some people awake. Let's keep going. The um, we've been in a series called Creating Tomorrow, where we've been looking at what we uh, do today, how it will impact and shape uh, tomorrow. And as we've been doing this, you know, we've been thinking about the future and what we want to see. And, and when you think about that, you know, we all have a goal to live, you know, uh, the happiest and healthiest life possible. And so let me ask, when you look at what you're doing today, what you're doing now, how, how, how do you invest in your tomorrow? Where are you putting your energy? What are you striving for? To have the health, happiest and healthiest Uh, version of you tomorrow. What are you doing? In a recent survey of millennials, 80% said that their life goal, one of their life goals was to get rich. A lot of people pursue wealth. Another 50% said they wanted to be famous, that their life goals were wealthy and famous. And so is that really going to produce the happiest and healthiest version of ourselves Later, I, I came across a um, study out of Harvard uh, last week that was just truly fascinating to me. Um, and this study from Harvard, uh, it's a 75-year it's a research study that they've been doing. And, that, and that's just mind-blowing, because most, most research projects don't even make it a decade, that the participants will drop out, the funding will dry up, the researchers find something better to pursue, that uh, making it 10 years is a considerable amount of time, but making it 75 years, now that's just crazy. But, but what's interesting is what this study, it's about adult development, and as they're looking at, at what they've done is they took guys who were sophomores at Harvard, 19 and so they've uh, they followed over 7 724 men. They followed over 700 men from the time they were teenagers all through their life. And they had no clue how their lives would turn out. And and they poured tons of resources into this as far as every year they would call up the participants and they'd ask the men, hey, will you do this study again and again? And they would, they would interview them and not just you know do a questionnaire, but they would interview the men and they would interview the spouses. They would talk to their uh, family. They would talk to, uh, uh, they, they would pull their medical charts. They would pull all of this information and they would track the lives of these men. And in, in that, it's, it's mind-blowing to think year after year of doing this and doing this and research and research. Um, and, and uh, you know, about 60 men were still alive just a, a few years ago. In the study, it's even started studying children and grandchildren, over 2,000 children. Um, and, and as they go through it, we're in the—the the, the fourth director is named Robert Waldinger. And, and he has come and, and he said, you know, here's the conclusion. When you take, they've got tens of thousands of pages of documenting the progress and the, the lives of these men. And he says, when you, when you boil it all down, good relationships are what keep us happier and healthier. Good relationships were what is where they found success in guys who found uh, the happiest and healthiest lives. It's mind-blowing to me that when you, you look, even at when they were in their 50s, and you look at their cholesterol levels, their blood pressure, their, all their health data, and you were to predict who would make it the longest, who would live the longest life there, that you would think it would be those that had excellent medical history. But that wasn't true, that, that your numbers in your 50s didn't determine what, where you were in your 80s, that it was those that had quality, satisfying relationships. And they said, you know, say you and your spouse bicker a little. They said, that's okay. It wasn't the fighting in the relationships. It was at the end of the day, they knew they could count on their partner. They knew that the other person would be there for them during the hard times, when things weren't going the way they wanted, that you know you can count on that person. You see, it's meaningful relationships are what bring about the healthiest and happiest version of ourselves. And so today, as we talk about making relationships meaningful, you know, I like how one guy pointed out that every time you hear a faith story, you're hearing about a meaningful relationship. Now, they may not use that term when they're sharing their story, but whenever you hear about someone's story, how they uh, came to Christ, gave their life to Him, and, and are growing in Him, you always hear about someone else other than that person. Now, now, I'm sure maybe you're the exception. I'm sure there's someone who in isolation, you know, found the Lord and in isolation did it all themselves and became all that they could be. I, it, but you're the exception if that's your case. That most stories, when you hear uh, how God worked in their life, it was through a meaningful relationship. Now, meaningful relationships can happen anywhere and everywhere, in places even unexpected. That meaningful relationships, you know, start, and we don't realize the depth of the relationship, where it's going. For, For instance, maybe your story starts out with, you know, I was just going along, doing my own thing, and then I met this guy, or I met this girl who was a Christian and began sharing their life with me and what God had done. Or maybe your story is, you know, I, I met a, my boss. My boss is a Christian, and I thought, well, what's that all about? Or, but I saw how he prioritized his life and how he valued different values from me, and he would, he would walk away from business deals, or he would, um, he would prioritize his family just do, or church and do things that, that, that I had never really seen before. And that in all these relationships, maybe it's a professor that you said, I really didn't, couldn't, didn't know he was smart. He was a Christian, but, but it changed my life. That we could fill in the blanks with those meaningful people, the people who showed us Jesus, who made it easier for us to know Jesus. And that happened through a meaningful relationship. And a lot of times, you know, it wasn't just one conversation or a series of conversation, but it was how they lived how their life values were were different, that made all the difference. And so right now, are you thinking about that meaningful person that has impacted your walk with Jesus? Now I want you to think the opposite is true as well, isn't it? Aren't there relationships that, that end up sabotaging our faith? That instead of building our faith and growing our faith in God, like the meaningful, healthy relationships, we had relationships with people that, man, we, we wish we could go back. Because our greatest regrets are with, with people that introduced us to something, that our hard habits are hard to break because we were first introduced to this by someone else. Makes sense? That, that there was a relationship uh, that, that I, I wish I hadn't met this person or known this person. I wouldn't have done this. You think, I I wish I hadn't answered that phone call. I wish I hadn't responded to that text. I I, I wish I had just said no and hadn't accepted the invitation. At the end of the day, our relationships will either build our faith or destroy our faith. When people look at you, what would they say? Is their relationship with Jesus better because of you? Have you built faith? Because I'm convinced that's the model from the very get-go. When, when we look at the early church and the example, we're going to look at Paul today in First, uh, in first Thessalonians. We're, we're going to see God loves to use people in meaningful relationships to grow other people in Christ that it's in our meaningful relationships that we can make an impact and make a difference and make it easier for people to know Jesus. Passing the faith on to others requires the meaningful relationship. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'll give you a second to turn there and I'll hydrate. And starting in verse 5, and Paul had been to the church of Thessalonica. He was recounting his visit there. Uh, with that in mind, and he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. See, what Paul's telling the church there is their relationship was not a sham. Their relationship wasn't just a, uh, an avenue for them to pursue greed or, or, or glory, their own glory, or anything selfish like that, that the motive in their relationship was truly pure and that they wanted to share the gospel and their own lives as well. That's a meaningful relationship. In verse 5 and 6, if, we, um, if you look at that, you know, he, he discounts these reasons, that that it's not greed and God was his witness, nor did he seek glory from people. That wasn't his 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 idea at all. I, I, I say that because I don't know about you, but have you ever had someone in your life that you know doesn't really love you? That they may say they love you, but but you know it's not real. And then it ends up you find out looking back, you're like, ah. Oh, they were using me. That pain of betrayal hurts. Paul says, "This isn't what we're about. It's not a sham. It's not a front." That he was the real deal in his love towards the Thessalonians. I, I know this is hard, but last um, just uh, just recently, um, you know, I've been reading about leadership and, and time management and trying to get better at time management, and uh, we'll see how long this sermon goes, if it's working or not, <laughs> that uh, reading about this, you know, everything's like, if it's distracting you from your main goal, get rid of it, right? And so I got called out on this. I, I was sharing with some of the pastors, you know, that there's a, a friendship that I have, a relationship where, man, I'm just not seeing progress and growth like I would like to see, And so I was asking them, you know, the guys, hey, should I keep pouring into this, investing in this relationship or not? And they gently just said, man, you keep on loving them. And one of them quoted uh, Bob Goff who said, loving people means caring without an agenda. As soon as we have an agenda, it's not love anymore. Man, I'm still growing and loving people as Christ would. I'm still trying to be like Jesus and striving in and this. And, and I totally dropped the ball and I repented of that. Man, I, I, I saw our meaningful relationships. People aren't just a pet project to us to do what we want them to do. We need to leave the agenda at the door and love them as we would want to be loved. That's where we'll find change and that's where we'll find hope. In growing in this, you know Paul says, "Listen, I could have made demands as an apostle. I could have laid it down and said, "Here's how it's going to be." But I didn't do that. Instead, he uses the example of a nursing mother that, that just as a mom loves her baby, you know, she feeds and cares for it. I've never known a mother who who didn't share her life with her child, you know that when the child's born just puts it in a crib, walks away, and says, "I'll be back tomorrow." You know, that's not that a mom, you know, wants to be a part of her baby's life and will feed, will care and nurture. Well, same with Paul. He's like, I don't want to come as the apostle to you, but as a brother who's trying to be like Jesus as well. Who's striving to grow in him and to make him known. And so as Paul goes on, he goes on in verse 9. He says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He uses the example of a mother, and now he shifts gears to the example of a father. And a loving dad, man, he's going to do three things for his kids. You know, the first, he said, is exhort. And that exhort, we mean to urge or uh, strongly advise to urge or strongly advise someone and and that we exhort one another just as Paul exhorted the church we want to exhort one another to be more like Jesus we all want to grow and be like Christ and, and so as we as we exhort one another it, it's it's it, how do we know if we're doing a good job how do we measure up you know what's our standard well scripture scripture shows us what it looks like to be more like Jesus, and how our lives are matching up. This past week, I had an interesting conversation with my wife, Megan. We were talking, and, and whenever my wife talks about the Old Testament, man, I listen. I listen because this girl, she knows her Bible, and she knows her Old Testament better than I do. And what a blessing. If you've got a spouse who studies the Word, man, be thankful. It is such a blessing. And be that spouse for them as well. But, but Megan, we're having this conversation. She's talking about the Old Testament and says, Chad, you know, I grew up just learning the Ten Commandments and, and really just saw, saw it all as like a bunch of rules. But God didn't just give us rules to help us be holy. He gave us rules to protect us. That when you look at the do not commands in Scripture, you know, what comes to mind? Do not lie, do not steal, do not kill, things like that, right? And when we think about those do not commands, where do they come from? Where do they stem from out of God's heart? They come from one of two areas. Either one, they come from God's desire to provide for us, or two, they come from God's desire to protect us. This is true for anyone who's a parent. I mean, if you've, even if you're not a parent, you can identify with this, that, that every once in a while, perfect little Johnny isn't so perfect, right? And needs a rule. And, and so you'll say, don't do something. In that moment, are you just trying to ruin Johnny's life? Are you just trying to suck every little ounce of fun and joy out of his life and make sure he never gets it back? No, no, no. Well, why do we say no to our children? Because we want what's best for them, right? We want them to have the healthiest and happiest life that is possible. And so we'll tell them no for their own good. Well, that's the heart I believe our father has in the do not parts of the Bible. It's not to make our lives miserable. It's the opposite so that we can have the, the happiest and healthiest lives possible that God wants what is best for us and truly loves us. And so, you know, it's not rules that raise a child. It's what? A parent. It's a person who is guiding, who is walking alongside with them, who is mentoring and modeling what it looks like to do the right thing. It's not the rules. It's the parent in the same way God shows us. Verse 12, if you notice, he didn't say we just exhort, but he also says we encourage. A good dad will, will exhort, and a good father will, will encourage. And in a good relationship, you should be exhorting and encouraging. To encourage is to offer comfort or support. I like how someone laid it out, that a sustained struggle plus an uncertain timeline plus Social isolation is where you find discouragement. You get that? That if you've got a struggle, a trial that's going on, and it's ongoing, and there's no timeline of it's going to be over by this point, and you're all by yourself, it's hard not to get discouraged. But what if you took this equation, and what if instead of the social isolation, we had someone who had someone speaking truth and encouragement and the Word of God into their lives? What if we had a meaningful relationship there? All of a sudden, the discouragement is changed, and that you can start to find hope, and that um, in, in hope, you know, things, things aren't always going to be like this, that. We're tempted that way. We're tempted to think things will never change, always going to be like this. And, and friends, that's just not true. It's, it's not true because, well, in Scripture, only one thing doesn't change, and that's God. And God loves changing our today to create a better tomorrow, And that even in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those bad times, he is working for our good and that we have a hope that we know will not disappoint. You get a totally different outcome when you have a meaningful relationship speaking truth and hope into your life. But let me ask this, who is that person for you? Do you have that someone? A, a breath mint, buddy, if you will. You know what I mean by that? With COVID, we got spoiled. We were drinking coffee and had coffee breath. We talked to people, but with the mask, it was all cool. Well, now the masks are coming off. You need that breath mint, buddy. That person who says, "Hey, you know, I'm offering it as a suggestion, but really, I strongly exhort you to do this, you know? (laughs) Let me encourage you here that that a breath mint buddy will come along and and, and will minister, reach out to you, will speak into your life in a way that, that nobody else does. Even the Apostle Paul had a breath mint buddy. His breath mint buddy was named Barnabas. Barnabas, his actual name was Joseph, but he was just one of those people that brightened up a room everywhere he went, and, and and that Barnabas or Joseph was so good at it, the church called him Barnabas because he was all about encouragement. And so Barnabas was was Paul's breath mint buddy, and we first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter four, where where there were some needs in the church, and Barnabas, he, he went and sold some of his property. He didn't, he didn't do it for prestige or anything like that, but, but rather that needs in the church were met, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. We, we, we meet Barnabas, and he is an encourager to all. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, And when he had come home to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. All right, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Who's this he? This he is Saul. Saul was a religious leader in the Jewish community and he was, um, he was a somebody, if you will. He was passionate about following God. And so whenever he heard about the church he was thinking he was doing God a favor and trying to get rid of the church, try to get rid of the followers of the way of Jesus. And so, so Paul persecuted, Saul, sorry, persecuted the church. Paul, it would be like, can you imagine we have a serial killer join us and we say, yeah, go go, go, serve with our children's ministry. That would be great. No, I mean, they did not trust Saul. And so... Back in verse uh, 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Man, Barnabas steps in here and saves the day. You know, we might not have had the apostle Paul if it hadn't been for for Barnabas. He, He He believed that Jesus had changed Saul's life, that Jesus had made him a new man, a new creation in Christ. He believed when others doubted. So who is it that believes in you? Who's your buddy that that, that believes in you even when you've done wrong, even when nobody else sees in you the potential that there can be? Who is it that comes along and does that for you. Barnabas and Paul joined up, and um, they were doing ministry together. They were going on missions and, and, do, uh, and uh, spreading the word of God in Acts 15, verses 36 and following. And after some days, Paul, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them, John called Mark, but Paul thought uh, best not to take him with, with them, uh, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, um, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. You get the picture of what's going on that That Paul and Barnabas are risking their lives, sharing the good news of Jesus, going around city to city, preaching him, making him known, creating uh, there's disciples there. And so Paul and Barnabas get this great idea, hey, let's go back. Let's go see how everyone's doing. You know, it's the meaningful relationship. You continually invest. Even when your circumstances don't bring you together, you continue to invest in it. And so Paul says, let's go back. And Barnabas uh, says, yeah, great idea. And you know who we need to bring with us this time is John Mark. Paul says, excuse me? John Mark? We can't bring Mark. No, there, there's no way. We Do not, Barnabas... You've got a great heart, love where it's at, but Barnabas isn't cut out for this. I mean, look what Jesus said. You know, any man who puts his hand to the plow and and turns back is not fit for service, you know, and that's, that's Mark. Look at what Mark did. He deserted us on the mission field. He left us out to dry. There's no way I'm going to bring him along for this. But Barnabas believed. And Mark, he believed that God could work in him just as He had done with others, and so Barnabas says, "I'm going to go with John Mark. I'm going to get him back in the game." Who is it that gets you back in the game? Who is it that when you mess up and they know that they give you a second chance? See, that's what a Barnabas does. A Barnabas will believe in you, and a Barnabas will encourage you, and a Barnabas will. Will give you second chances again and again. We see we don't know everything that went on, but I find it interesting in Second Timothy chapter four verse eleven. This is one of Paul's last writings, and Paul Paul says in verse eleven, "Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me." Or ministry. This was the same guy that Paul quit working with Barnabas on. All right, now think about that. If you've ever had a near death experience, it has a way of bringing you uh, to work close and closer with those around you. You've been in military, you know, there's a brotherhood there that just can't be explained. You know, you've risked your lives together, you've gone through a lot together, and that you're there for each other. And that's what Paul and Barnabas had, but they split over Mark. And yet, by the time Paul's wrapping up, he says, Hey, he's writing this letter to Timothy get Mark and bring him with you. I want Mark too that we see Paul came around on this. But what if Barnabas hadn't been around? What if Barnabas wasn't in the picture? I want you to imagine with me, just if we can, that we're at Barnabas' funeral. Imagine what his funeral would have been like. I can just see it. Barnabas' funeral, this isn't in the Bible, but just imagine with me. Can you just picture what it was like when it was open mic time? When it, when it was time for them to share their testimonies of, of how Barnabas impacted them. I could just picture a, a, an older man walking up to the pulpit and getting ready to speak and everyone's elbowing each other. Hey, it's the apostle Paul. It's Paul, he's famous, he's, he's gonna speak. And I could just see Paul getting up there and saying, you know, a lot of you are aware that I used to persecute the church, that I wouldn't just imprison, but I would even try to execute Christians. Some of your own family members I may have, may have heard. And when nobody, not even the apostles, even though they heard about the day that I met Jesus, nobody, not even the apostles, believed that he had changed me. But Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Old Barney did. Barney believed in me Barney, Barney knew that the change was real And he was willing to vouch for me And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for old Barney You just see Paul going back to his seat And as he's walking down the aisle Another younger man is coming up next to him And they brush elbows and everyone goes That's John Mark, that's Mark, he's famous you can see Mark getting up there and wiping the tears in his eyes and clearing his throat and saying, I messed up big time. Most of you know, I, I was a quitter. I deserted everyone in the mission field. The truth is, everyone gave up on me and I had even given up on myself. But not old Barney, man. Barney, he stepped in and he vouched for me. He believed in me and he, he gave me another chance. And I know I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Barnabas. About that time, you can see Mark going back to his seat and all of a sudden, an older widow lady comes to the front. And it's a different feel this time because nobody knows who she is can just see her saying I lost everything when I lost my husband I had no way to provide income didn't know how I'd provide for my children or myself I didn't know what I was going to do and honestly I almost lost my faith at that point but old Barney stepped in and he he sold property and and gave the money, all the money went to, to meet needs, and I'm one of those needs that was met. Now, I don't know what Barnabas funeral was like, But do you ever wonder what is yours going to be like? What are the stories that people are going to share? What meaningful relationships will speak up and say, "You know? I'm better because of this person, because of what they did for me, because of how they followed Jesus. You see, that's the third thing that a good dad does and that Paul says, you know, we charge, we challenge, to challenge each another to be be more like Jesus. Pastor Ernie has shared, honor people in the world they live in and share how you experience Jesus in yours. If we're serious about doing this, then we have to be making meaningful relationships. We have to be making relationships uh, with others that, that we don't have an agenda. We don't have something for us, in us, for it. that we're doing this because we love them. You realize that every person you meet is created in the image of God and that they are of infinite value in God's sight. See, when we get this picture, all of a sudden, cross-generational relationships doesn't seem so strange. The stereotypes begin to fall. We begin to see the value that we can offer and even the value from them that we can receive. That Whether you've got generation and generation before you or generation after you, it doesn't matter. We all have value and matter. learn from each other so i want to give you three l's this is your homework for making making meaningful relationships number one is love them love them truly truly you know not a front but really genuinely love them not just the people that are like you but but others that maybe you haven't come yet to appreciate be a paul that's what paul did he He loved the church. He desired to be a part of them, shared not only the gospel, but his very life as well. Number two, listen. Listen openly. Be a Barnabas. You know, when when Barnabas heard about Saul's story, he didn't say, I don't believe it. There's no way. You're just trying to trick us, Saul. No, he believed that God made Paul. So be a Barnabas. Number three, learn. Learn from them. And that's where I say be a Timothy. That's where you look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And I'm sorry we didn't have time to really go in depth, but but he learned from Paul. Paul was a spiritual father to him. And that we should be learning from those around us. That every single one of us needs a relationship where we are getting poured into. If we want to make a difference for the world, if we want to make Jesus known and make Jesus famous, then we've got to make him known through our relationships. So will you do that? Let's pray. Father, we we are humbled by how much you love us. How much you 've done for us, and the good things that you do, that Father help us never forget, but to praise you with all of our being, Father, we realize that you work through us as your instruments as your tools, and that father you you want for all your lost children to be found, and that we can can share our faith through the relationships that you 've entrusted so father that 's what we pray this week, as we interact as we speak, and we we love on people that Father you you would be honored and you would be glorified that we would know you more than ever before in Jesus name and all who agree say amen